Other than me, has anybody ever told you you guys are like herding cats? <laughs> All right, first John this morning. First John chapter 4 is where we'll be at this morning. Also, I was reminded to... Uh, Tell everybody, um, since how we are having dinner after church, uh, we will not be having service this evening. Um, we do that so that we can, we're going to plan on breaking out the cornhole boards this afternoon and have a very competitive cornhole match. <laughs> so... All right, I'm trying to find my notes here. Eureka! Most of us have heard this word. Um, at some point in our life, we have heard the word Eureka. Um <clears throat> And we usually associate it uh, with the gold prospectors who would strike gold back in the 1800s. Uh, when they found gold, of course, they would uh, respond with Eureka. Now, what most of us don't realize is that Eureka is actually a Greek word. Anybody know what that word means? It means I have found it. It literally means, I have found it. When somebody yells, Eureka, they say, I have found it. It became a, a desired cheer of every California gold prospector back in the 1800s. It expressed the thrill of every prospector that struck it big, who found the gold, who found exactly what they were looking for. Gold was found back in, in 1848 by James Marshall. Um, one year later, the word had spread all over the world, and a flood of would-be prospectors flooded to California. Um, now, there was approximately 90,000 people who arrived in California. Anybody know what they were called? 49ers. Anybody know why they were called the 49ers? Because they came in in 1849. Man, you guys are so smart. You're smarter than Wikipedia. I should have called you instead of looking this stuff up. <laughs> That's exactly right. 
I mean, we've all heard San Francisco 49ers, and that's what it is. It was because all, that was the peak time the most people rushed in in 1849, and so they were called the 49ers. But at that time in, in 1849, 90,000 people rushed to California. Now, only a little over half of those, they say 50 to 60,000, were from the United States. The other 30 to 40,000 were from overseas, from all over the world. The, the word had got out. Now, these new prospectors found out quickly that not everything that looked like gold was. Riverbeds and quarries were speckled with iron pyrite or fool's gold. Wikipedia, man, you guys are awesome. It looked just like gold. You know what's interesting? I, I had tried to get a hold of my coworker. He found some pyrite here, and we was in Wayland here a while back, and found a big old chunk of it. I mean a big old chunk of it. I was going to bring it in this morning, but he, he never responded back to me. Um, but it looked just like gold, but it was completely worthless. It had no value whatsoever. Now, miners had to learn what the difference was very quickly because their very livelihoods depended on them being able to tell the difference between the pyrite or the fool's gold and real gold. Now, experienced miners could look and tell the difference. If they had done it for a while, they were able to look at it, but sometimes it just wasn't that easy. And so they came up with these tests to be able to tell whether it was gold or whether it was pyrite. Um, now, the first test they had was biting it. The first test they came up with to find out if it was gold was to bite it. You see people biting gold? That's what they're doing, to test it to see if it's real. Because gold is actually softer than the human tooth. And so when they bit it, they could tell whether it was gold. Now, the pyrite was much harder than the human tooth. And so... When you bit into it, it wasn't so pleasant. Um, now, the second what they would do was they would take a white rock, um, kind of like a ceramic rock, and they would take that and they would scrape it on that white rock. Now, if it was gold, it would leave a yellow line. It would leave a yellow mark when they marked it. If it was pyrite, it left kind of a greenish-black mark. And so they were able to tell whether it was the fool's gold or whether it was real gold. Um, and their futures depended on that and how successful they were. And when they found real gold, Eureka. Eureka. And you know, as you think about that, um, it's really a lot like our spiritual walk. Over time, we are presented with a lot of different doctrines, a lot of um, religious teachings. And just like those miners, we need to be able to test them to tell whether they're worth anything, to test them to make sure that they are pure, make sure it's what we need because our very 
lives depend on it. Our very religious success depends on our ability to be able to tell when something is not worthy, when something is not worth. And we must learn that just like the gold miners, just because something sparkles doesn't mean it's good. Just because something shines doesn't mean it's good. We must be weary of spiritual fool's gold. We cannot blindly believe everything that we hear. Just because we like that person's preaching or because they're on TV or because they're on the radio, we must learn to test what is being taught to see if God approves of that. And if it fails that test, then we must discard it and we must warn others about it. And if it passes, Eureka, we have found it. We must wholeheartedly embrace it and we must wholeheartedly endorse it. And listen, if we're not diligent to test all that becomes before us, then we will become children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You see, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, Satan has basically attacked God's truth in three ways. In three ways. Nothing's changed from the very beginning. Number one, doubt. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat? First, he brings doubt into the word. Second, he denied what God said outright. You shall not surely die. And then finally, he distorted what God had told Adam. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. In 6,000 years, he still uses the same tactics. Doubt, denial, and distortion. It doesn't change. And Paul told Timothy that it was only going to get worse. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. Now look with me at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, not every spirit, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. That confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Stop believing every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. You see, last week, John discussed the work of the Holy Spirit. And this week, the work of the unholy spirits. You see, the success of so many of these false teachers is because they have supernatural spirits. They are experts in deception. Do not believe literally means stop believing. That's interesting. Do not believe literally means stop believing. In other words, stop doing what you're already doing. Stop believing these deceiving spirits. Stop believing these false teachers. Stop believing these people who tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. Stop believing them. This is a command. Too many Christians agree with false teachings because they like the teacher or because they like what they say. Oh, I like them. I like them. And might I add, one of the true tests of whether they are false teachers or not or what is being taught is false is not that's what we've always heard. That's not a true test. Or that's what we've always been taught. That's not a true test. If I've learned anything over the past 12 years at this church with this group is that too much of what we were taught or too much of what we believe was either wrong or out of context. Time and time and time again, we find Scripture and look at it in context and and look around and go, wow, that was not at all what I believe that meant. That was not at all what I was taught that meant. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 says, Now the Brian Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were more noble You see, we are without excuse. 
We have the word of truth and we have the spirit of truth. If you are a believer, you are without excuse to not test every spirit or every doctrine that is put before you. Test everything and hold fast to that which is true. That is the command. Test everything. What does that cover? Everything. Yes, you guys are geniuses. Test everything. Don't assume that everything that's being taught or everything that you're listening to is true. Make sure you test every spirit, everything, and then hold fast to that which is true. And then discard what is not true. And to try or to test the spirits. This word that was translated test was actually the word that meant to test metals. To find out how precious they are. It's the same word. It also means to continually test. To continually search. To continually make sure. You see the purpose of testing. Is to make sure or to see if they are of God. To make sure that they are of God. And listen, this has nothing to do, when you read this, this has nothing to do with confronting demons or having an exorcism. This is not what John is teaching us here. This has nothing to do with that. It means that we must constantly evaluate what we see and what we hear. Constantly evaluate what we see and what we hear. That is our primary defense. John says, listen, there are many false prophets that go out. Many false prophets. You see, Satan doesn't just want to oppose the church. That's not his main goal. He wants to infiltrate the church is what he wants to do. He wants to fundamentally change the church is what he wants to do. And unfortunately, he's been very successful in many areas. He will infiltrate our churches. He will infiltrate our Christian colleges, our Christian schools, our denominations. And the list goes on and on and on and on. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and 15 says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Recently, the worship leader of a 6,000 member or a 6,000 attending church um, renounced his faith in Jesus Christ. He'd been a a song leader in this organization for 20 years. And he renounced his faith in Jesus Christ. But not only did he renounce his faith, but he invited his thousands of followers to join him on this new truth that he had found. John Cooper the lead singer for a Christian band, wrote an article in response to this apostasy. 
And I want to read this to you. Now, it's, it's pretty lengthy, but it's very powerful what he has to say. Now, this is John Cooper. He says, okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they are being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they will want to influence others for what purpose as they announce that they are leaving the faith. I'll state my conclusion, then I'll state some rebuttals to the statements I've read by some of them. Firstly, I never judge people outside of my faith. Even if they hate religion or Christianity, that is not my place, and I have many friends who disagree with my religion, and that is 100% fine with me. However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and to the Word of God. My conclusion for the church, all of us, Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom, Christendom, whatever that word is. And yes, and that includes people like me, I've been saying for 20 years and seem probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to a 20-year-old worship singer as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teaching of the word. I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid Bible truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of Scripture, too unaware, or too uncensored about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of God we are singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue to His character? I have a few specific thoughts and rebuttals to the statements made by recently disavowed church influencers. First of all, I am stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who have lost their faith, faith is to make such a bold new stance. Basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led congregations of people with my teachings, and now I, lo- I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people to my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager, ig- why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you're headed. My second thought is why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins, as if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place? That's not courageous. It's cavalier. 
Have they considered the ramifications? As if they are harbingers of truth, saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, but now I've learned that the new truth, and I will start practicing and preaching it. And so the influencers become the voice for truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. Thirdly, there is a common thread running through these leaders and influencers that basically say that no one else is talking about the real stuff. This is just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he is the first person to ask this. Brother, you are not that unique. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years. Literally everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on this topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean that we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And lastly, the most shocking IMO, as these influencers disavow their faith, they always end their statements with their new insight, new truth. That is basically a regurgitation of Jesus' words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They'll say, I'm disinviting my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, and forgive others. Um, why? That is actually not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I just want to love others before loving myself. I want to turn to the other cheek. I want to give my money away to others in need. Those are Bible principles taught by a prophet, a priest, and a king, the king of kings who wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an eager earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God standard. Therefore, if Jesus is not the truth, and if the word of God is not absolute, then by preaching Jesus' teaching, you are endorsing the words of a madman, a lunatic, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He also said that he was alive before Abraham. And to see him was to see God because he was one with God. So why then would a disavowed Christian leader promote all generosity is good? How would you know what is good without Jesus' teaching? And will your ideas of what is good be different from year to year based on your experience, your cultural trends, your popular opinions, etc. And furthermore, will you continue year by year to lead others into your idea of goodness, even though it is not absolute? I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefit of the kingdom of God, but the caveat that they themselves will be the king. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. Is it any wonder 
that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible and subsequently their lives are falling apart. Further and further they are sinking in the sea of all while shouting, Now I've found the truth! Follow me, brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world. Pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God. For he changes not. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. Was that not powerful? A man in the middle (coughs) was able to stand up and say, listen, Be careful who you follow. Make sure that the one that you're following is a man or a woman of God. Make sure that they are teaching the truth to you. And you know, sometimes it's not so obvious. These standing up and saying, I I renounce my faith in Jesus Christ, that's pretty obvious. But sometimes it's not so obvious. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as they will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 7 through 17 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This morning as I was preparing my message, I received a uh, a private message from a young man that I graduated high school from. And when it came up, it says... An apple tree produces apples. An apple tree produces apples without any effort because that's what an apple tree does. And a Christian produces Christian fruit because that's what we are. That's who we are. I sent him a message back and I said, Brother, I've been preaching that message for the past month. He said, Listen. He said, I've been praying for you. I don't know when the last time I talked to him was. I said, brother, I still remember graduating night, the night we graduated from high school, him and I was on our way to a party. We were good kids. It wasn't that we was going to any drinking party, but we was going to uh, where they were having a party. On the way, we got to talking about life. We got to talking about God, and we pulled over at the side of the road, and we worshiped God all night long. That's all we did all night. We never made it to the party. Good man, good man. Listen, if you ignore God's warning, it will be at your own harm. If you accept these false teachings, 
If you listen to these false teachers, it will be at your own harm, at your own destruction. We must practice biblical discernment. We must practice biblical discernment. And listen, it is, very, it is especially imperative for pastors. Paul told Titus, he says, listen, for an overseer or for a pastor, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover, uh, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold for, firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Look at verse 2 with me again. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wherefore we have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, John gives three tests. Do they confess? Do they convey? And are they committed? Do they confess? What do they teach? What are they teaching about Jesus Christ? It's funny, sometimes as, as, as I, when people find out that I'm a pastor, they want to talk Bible with me. And most of them are pretty clueless when they start talking Bible. I had a, I had a gentleman the other day, he said, oh, he said, man, I, I like to get a hold of, of these religious leaders, and I like to, I like to throw curveballs at them. I said, oh, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I had one before me here a while back, and I said, is the devil good? Uh, No. Well, what do you mean he's not good? Doesn't the devil punish bad people? No. That is not at all what the Bible teaches about the devil. The devil is condemned. He is not the leader of hell. For some reason, we have this idea, and people outside have this idea, that the devil is the leader of hell. No, he's just as condemned to hell as anybody who doesn't accept Jesus Christ. He's not the leader of hell. He's not punishing those that are in hell. That is not what the Bible teaches. But just as they don't understand the devil, they don't understand who Jesus Christ is either. Three different times this week, I've had three different men come at me with some of the strangest doctrines I've ever heard. 
strange doctrines. But they don't understand because they don't know. Now, the word that is translated confess, it means to say the same thing. It means to say the same thing. Does he consistently teach what lines up with the Bible about Jesus Christ? Does he consistently teach those things? You see, no one can honor the Father without honoring the Son because they share the same divine nature. To be saved, you must believe that Jesus is eternal deity, the second person of the Godhood, Godhead. He put on flesh, he became a man. He is not merely a created being like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that he was just created. You see, these understandings and acceptances of biblical Jesus is the ultimate litmus test. What do they say about Jesus Christ? Who do you say that I am? Is the litmus test. To test every spirit that teaches any religion or philosophy that does not confess Jesus, then they are not of God. They are erroneous, they are blasphemous, they are outrageous. And John calls them antichrists. John is just reassuring believers. In verse 4 and 5, when he says, Ye are of God, little children, you have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, he is just reassuring to you not to worry about false teachers. Don't fear false teachers. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, when you were born again, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you were given a supernatural insight for the truth. You understand that, right? A supernatural insight to the truth. Luke chapter 10 and verse 21 says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And also, he has given us a love for the truth. Psalms chapter 1 and verse 2. He has also given us a discernment that protects us from false teachers. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. Hang with me. We're winding down here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 through 16 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, 
and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You will not be deceived unless you allow it. It's that simple. You will not be deceived unless you allow it. If you become a lazy Christian, you will be easily deceived. But if you will test every spirit and test everything you hear by the word of God, you will not be deceived. You will resist worldly ideas and you will overcome the world. John says, listen, we are from God. Speaking of all of the writers of the Bible, we are from God. And we proclaim what God has given us to proclaim. Everything that we wrote down came from God. And it's pretty simple. If you read the word, if you believe the word, and if you live the word, then you know God. Just like that. If you read it, if you believe it, if you live it, then you are of God. If not, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, believe it not because it tickles your ears, because you like it. Don't believe it because you like it, because you like what they're telling you, what they're saying, what you want to hear. Not because you like who said it. Don't, don't believe every word that comes out of a man's mouth just because you like who they are but believe it because God has revealed it to be the truth. Then and only then do you believe it. Constantly test spiritual nuggets to see if they are real gems or if they are fool's gold. Would you stand to your feet? I see a reoccurring theme with John. It's like he's trying to get something across of importance to us. Before we go downstairs, first off, thank you everybody for coming today. This is kind of our end of summer get-together, barbecue. We're going to get out the cornhole boards and have some tournaments out there. Um, as always, be patient. We're going to fire up the grill. I, myself, like fresh food, so... I didn't pre-cook the burgers. We will cook them. It'll take about 20 minutes, and uh, we'll get them out. And uh, so just be patient with us as we do that. Uh, we bought, we got a brand-new grill for the church. That is the church's grill down there. So um, we're going to put it to good use. Thank you, guys. Father, what a wonderful word you've given us. What a great reminder for us not to be lazy, 
not to just blindly accept everything that we've heard from any leader. God, we see too many of these mighty men in the eyes of men fall. Too many of them walk away from the faith. We watch too many who are successful, not because they preach the truth, God, but because they tickle ears. Because they candy coat everything they present. And God, sometimes we need bitter. Sometimes we need hard to swallow. Sometimes we need our toes stepped upon. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for a a body that allows me to preach the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear. I thank you for a church that feels satisfied when they leave out of here with something that they can apply to their lives. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, I pray that you bless our time downstairs. God, I pray our fellowship uh, is wonderful. God, I pray that we are drawn together by brotherly love. God, they will know us because of our love for one another. Bless the food, Father. Bless all those that have prepared. Keep us safe and bring us all back again to receive your word once more. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Be patient.